Carmen Schober and Ian Hewitt from Stasios. We are kicking off a new video here on the Stasios channel. It is our election debrief. Is that what we want to call it, Ian, basically? Yeah, maybe the election, what happens now? Yes, good. The election, what happens now? For those of you who don't know, I'm the editor-in-chief of Stasios. Ian is my co-editor. We came up with Stasios together. We've been growing it together, and it's always fun to talk to Ian. He has a lot of expertise on a lot of different subjects, particularly um, in the world of litigation, because Ian is a lawyer. Um, so we'll be getting into that, kind of what's the litigation side of what's happening right now with the Trump administration. And we're also going to talk a little bit about court packing again. For those of you who may not have seen Ian's videos on court packing, you should definitely check those out. And then we'll also just talk about what options do we have as we wait for the official result of the election. And maybe we'll touch on some of the rhetoric that's been going on about healing and unity and this and that. We'll cover kind of the whole range of conversations that are happening about the election. So Ian, you want to just kick us off, give people a sense of what is even happening? <laughs> maybe we just start yeah. there. Well, <laughs> let's start with on? maybe kind of a 30,000 foot view of the election law issues. Sure. So I'm not an elections lawyer. I've never done election litigation, um, but I do have a lot of general constitutional knowledge. I've published constitutional law scholarship and I have a lot of litigation background. So any lawyer, there are certain things going on now that any lawyer should be able to recognize very pressing constitutional issues and issues of legal ethics. So I think these are kinds of the, the main things that everyone should know about the ongoing election litigation. One is that before the ninth, a lot of the many suits the Trump campaign has filed, and there are many, many suits, have to do with fairly small procedural issues. So I've, I've been following election lawyers, election legal scholars, um, including some on the left who've been commenting on these. And the general consensus before the ninth seemed to be that these suits probably do have legitimate grievances, but these are not grievances that could change the outcome of any one state race um, if Trump were to win. So up until the ninth, things did not look particularly good. And, and I would say, Trump does not appear to have put as much effort as Biden did into assembling a strong and coherent legal team in advance of the election. However, on the 9th, a complaint was filed in Pennsylvania federal court by a law firm, Porter Wright, that was different than a lot of the previous suits. The suit was a lot more substantive and a lot of people found it more legally compelling. And basically what the suit said was, not that there was fraud in the sense of people manufacturing fake ballots and sticking them in to the results. And by the way, if you are Trump, you had better hope that the Democrats did not use fake ballots to cheat because there's probably no way to detect fake ballots. I actually participated in a state level recount as a GOP volunteer on Tuesday. And the ballots I was looking at, I was recounting for a state level race, but they were the same ballots people used to vote in the presidential election. And all I was doing was looking at the bubbles. Um, you know, different ballots were put in front of me on screens, and I was just confirming that the bubble for the candidate I was looking at was properly filled in. There would have been absolutely no way for me to know or even suspect if someone had like photocopied a thousand of, you know, of one ballot. It would have just looked just like any other ballot to me. 
So there's there's no way for, you know, get that out of your head if you think a recount is going to massively change anything. A recount is going to change things by a very small margin, if anything, and it, there's probably no way to detect fake ballots. However, in the Porter Wright suit uh, that was filed on the 9th, what the Trump campaign alleges is that, in their words, there was an illegal two-tiered voting system. So essentially what the Pennsylvania Secretary of State was allegedly doing was systematically setting everything up so that a vote from a Republican would encounter more obstacles to actually being counted than a vote from a Democrat. And she allegedly did this in basically two ways. One was that mail-in ballots were treated much more leniently than in-person votes. So a mail-in ballot would have had to encounter a lot fewer checks and procedural obstacles to be counted. And the idea here being that mail-in ballots are more likely to be from Democrats. And the other way is that there are different counties in Pennsylvania. Some are more heavily Republican and some are more heavily Democratic. And according to the Trump campaign suit, the uh, voters in Republican-heavy counties were treated more strictly than voters in Democratic-heavy counties. So if a Republican voter in a Republican-heavy county sent in a ballot that was defective in some way, then that ballot would not be sent back to them. It just wouldn't be counted. But if a voter from a Democrat-heavy county sent in a defective ballot, that ballot would be sent back to them and they would be given the opportunity to cure and correct it. So this is the same kind of basic argument we saw in Bush v. Gore in 2000, where there's not systematic fraud per se, but systematic dilution of certain people's votes. So this suit on the ninth uh, did have the potential, if these facts were then backed up later on in the suit, to change the outcome of the Pennsylvania election. And this caused a lot of Democrats to freak out, and it caused the Lincoln Project in particular uh, to freak out, who are ex-Republican neoconservatives from like the, the Bush, Cheney, Romney, McCain, um, Evan McMullen orbits, who are angry that the Republican Party is no longer about using cluster bombs to spread democracy around the world. That's their main objection to Trump. So they're trying to just tear down the Republican Party, throw every Senate race to the Democrats. And the Lincoln Project really is, I think, a sort of love letter to the Democrats. They're hoping that the Democrats will accept them and the Democrats will now become the new war party, the new party of Halliburton and adopt these people and their foreign policy views. So the Lincoln Project launched a half million dollar campaign against this law firm, Porter Wright, in advertising. And Porter Wright uh, just yesterday withdrew from the suit three days after they had filed it. So it's extraordinary. To, I mean, lawyers, uh, lawyers have a legal concept, and this is codified in the ABA model rules 1.2B, if you're a lawyer, look that up, that says a lawyer who is representing a client is not endorsing that client's politics or conduct or moral views or anything of that kind. Um, and that's why you will see, you know, like the ACLU used to represent neo-Nazis. No one said the ACLU was a neo-Nazi group. Criminal defense attorneys represent murderers. Uh, I mean, lawyers provide this important function in our system that gives it a certain income of integrity by being willing to defend unpopular clients in the face of pressure. And against you know, that model rule and against this longstanding legal tradition, 
um, Porter Wright displayed absolute groveling cowardice and three days after filing the suit uh, was browbeaten into backing out. So I would say for that reason alone, we can clearly see this is manipulation of the system. You know, a lot of Democrats are concerned about uh, like Citizens United, groups like that, spending a lot of money to promote their views. What the Lincoln Project did isn't spending a lot of money to just promote its views against Trump. They spent half a million dollars to actually obstruct the fact-finding system by depriving the Trump campaign of qualified legal representatives. Wow. That is crazy. So like what happens now? Like what's what's going to happen to the case since they are cowards? There is right now another attorney um, still on uh, the case, that case in Pennsylvania for the Trump campaign, but it's it's one attorney. Um, from so the same, not, from Porter Wright? Not from Porter Wright. No, okay. it was from the outset, it was Porter Wright and this other attorney. The other attorney stayed on, but the other attorney is one attorney. Porter Wright is a big law firm. And right. I, I should emphasize, by the way, if anyone thinks, you know, well, oh, boo-hoo, Trump has a bunch of money, he can hire another firm. Porter Wright was not just representing the Trump campaign. They were also representing in this suit individual Republican voters who were allegedly treated unfairly. So, I, you know, I mentioned a moment ago, if you were in a Republican county, your ballot, if it was defective, wouldn't be sent back to you, whereas a Democratic county, your ballot would come back to you. and You would have a chance to correct. One of the plaintiffs in this suit in Pennsylvania federal court was a Republican voter who did not have a chance to correct like Democrats were given a chance. So Porter Wright is abandoning not just the Trump campaign, but individual voters who have been subject to this kind of systematic dilution. So I think you've got multiple levels of manipulation um, if the original complaint is correct. And certainly you have big money groups like the Lincoln Project actually putting their hands on the scales of justice and stopping the truth from being discovered, which suggests to me, by the way, that Porter Wright uh, that the Lincoln Project, rather, did actually fear that evidence of systematic malfeasance would come out in this suit. Otherwise, they would not have had a, a huge incentive to do this. Right, right. So just from, I mean, obviously, this just kind of happened. So you're probably kind of more speculating than anything. But do you think there's going to be consequences for this? Like this obvious, like, using such disgusting tactics to distort the truth finding process like is anything going to happen are they allowed to just do this is there any way to fight it or are we just we're just we should just expect this this is going to be how the left is going to do this we shouldn't accept it we should cause there to be consequences i mean this is a big systematic problem with the right is that chick-fil-a can for example throw Fellowship of Christian Athletes, throw the Salvation Army under the bus because of their traditionally Christian beliefs um, under pressure from things like boycotts and you know other sorts of public campaigns by the left, but that conservatives will not react in kind. Conservatives will not boycott Chick-fil-A. And if you suggest to conservatives that we should boycott Chick-fil-A, they, they just think you're taking things too seriously. And they say, it's just a chicken sandwich. So I, I wanna say to those people, this is the most dangerous illustration of this we've seen so far. They, they are obstructing the ability of the legal system to actually find the truth by depriving not just the Trump campaign, but 
ordinary Republican voters of competent legal representation through intimidation. So we will, we will have no recourse if conservatives don't respond in kind. There is no reason that any conservative should do business with Porter Wright again, which is an election law firm. Republicans should not be doing business with this firm, even in contracts cases. Uh, there has got to be a counterweight incentive from the right or the left will continue to shrink and shrink the window of allowable dissent. They'll continue to assert greater and greater totalitarian control over the discourse. Gotcha. Okay. And so, oh, sorry, that sounds not great. I'll say yeah, that's that. what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> so with that, that component aside for just a second, is it likely that this one lone brave attorney moving forward can do this? No, this was a huge suit. Um, this okay. the complaint was over eighty pages, um, you know, filed just three days ago. So, and I don't think that the you know Trump's personal lawyers are probably qualified to litigate um, this case. Nor, nor do are they likely to have the resources to do it. I think you need another firm like Porter Wright. Um, to step in and to not be cowards and to take over the case. Where Where is Lynn Wood? We need Lynn Wood. <laughs> He's probably busy, I guess, right? Isn't he doing all the other all the other high profile conservative? We need we need someone with election law experience specifically. I'm not actually familiar yeah. with Lynn Wood, but um, oh no, he he's the one with election law practice. He's um Nate Nick Sandman's lawyer, and then he did somebody else recently. Too. Yeah. Another big one. Oh, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. He's represented them. Yeah. That's why I thought of him. Yo, he's yeah, at I least mean, brave, you, if not qualified. <laughs> for there this needs to be case. like a big team of people. Okay. Other options that people should be considering if litigation proves to be less than effective? Talk about that. Well, I think, yeah, if for the rest of our conversation, maybe we should just talk about assuming that the election results are not overturned, um, you know, which they are, they were unlikely to be from the outset. They're particularly, unfortunately, unlikely to be um, now that, you know, you have groups like Porter Wright kowtowing to the Lincoln Project. So, you know, obviously, if uh, Rudy Giuliani can pull a rabbit out of a hat, that would be wonderful. Um, you know, I'd be thrilled if there was exposure of systematic malfeasance. It certainly you know, while I have no evidence that there was, um, certainly wouldn't surprise me if there were. I'm reminded of Samuel Pettingill, who was the Democratic congressman, who was the leading opponent of court packing when FDR was president. Pettingill famously said that court packing and stuffing a ballot box are on the same moral plane. I think if you are openly threatening to pack the court, uh, which Biden has very clearly done, in particular by saying, you'll find out my position on court packing after the election. It would not at all surprise me if you were willing to commit systematic malfeasance. Um, so I, my suspicion, especially in light of the way groups like the Lincoln Project reacted to this suit, is that there was evidence of systematic malfeasance. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, it just seems like, like you said, there's like these smaller little grievance procedural type things, complaints. I mean, there's a lot of them. If you really add them all up, there's quite a bit of like at least shady business going on. And then like you've said with this particular case, which I was following because you had said it was one that seemed to suggest there was some real weight behind some of the Trump administration's allegations. I just really hope it comes to light. Like, you know, because like, like you, I'm 
I have no problem believing that it's there. I just really hope that the evidence comes to light and comes to light fast. Right. That's right. I mean, I, you know, I was saying before the election, I thought it would be close Um, just by itself. It wouldn't surprise me if Biden won, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was malfeasance either. And particularly given the behavior that we're seeing now from groups like the Lincoln Project, it would be especially unsurprising. Right. Right. So for those, you know, I think we probably a lot of people who are watching this are optimistic that Trump can still win. I'm going to remain optimistic of that too, but on the on the chance that he does not, what should people what should be in people's minds moving forward? So then I think we need to talk about court packing again. And, okay. You know, we need to start by remarking on the fact that the control of the Senate is going to come down to a Georgia runoff in January. Um, even if Republicans win that, which they might not, but even if Republicans do. Um, it, I mean, it's only a matter of time until Texas flips or other states flip. Um, bear in mind that Biden, while Trump made tremendous inroads with, in particular, rural Hispanics in Texas, um, you know, Biden got 75% of the votes of urban Hispanics in places like San Antonio and Dallas and Houston. And uh, bear in mind here that Trump massively outperformed the old Republican establishment, which was much more pro-immigration than Trump is. So even if the Republican Party overwhelmingly adopts a hardline pro-immigration stance tomorrow, there is no reason to think that this really intractable, massive advantage that Democrats have electorally among immigrants from Latin American countries is going to change. So what I would say, whatever you think about immigration from a policy perspective, just descriptively recognize that uh, this is going to flip states blue. And what, as soon as states flip blue, you know, which could happen in Biden's first term, even if Republicans keep the Senate in the runoff, then the Senate will be flipped. When the Senate is flipped, then the Democrats will attempt court packing, at least. Um, and as I've argued in the past, court packing is just tantamount to the abolition of our constitutional system of government none of our federal constitutional rights will be enforceable. So this is something conservatives need to start talking about now, um, thinking about strategies for and raising the alarm about. Got it. Right. And you've done that. You have a video. We have another video. People should go check that out on our channel. Um, I think it's called The End of Constitutional Government, all about court packing. Right. Right. So um I would just say in the interim, yeah. my, my sort of few points about court packing that, that I think everyone should know are basically that our constitution creates a system of government that has three branches that can all check each other. Those are articles one through three of the constitution. Article three creates the Supreme Court. It gives the Supreme Court the power to decide all cases arising under the constitution. So the greatest significance of the Supreme Court is that it can enforce the constitution against the president and the executive, which it has done many times. Historically, I would say the main reason that we still have constitutional rights right now, like free speech, the Second Amendment, is that the Supreme Court will check the president and the legislature. Once it is packed once, it will never be able to check the legislature again because everyone will know the other branches can expand it at any time and reassert control over it will not be able to function as an independent branch. So that means the meaning of the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and so on will be decided solely 
by the president and Congress, who are the very people that are meant to be checked by these constitutional rights. So this is something we all need to be talking about and also preparing for. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And specifically, how should people prepare? You know, I think I think a lot of people are alarmed, but I think beyond that, they're kind of like, now what? Well, I foresee basically plans A, B, and C in terms of the rights response to court packing. I think plan A is warn as many people about it as you can and raise as much of a stink about it as you can. Uh, Make it very clear that this would be a coup, that this would be the abolition of our constitutional system of government. Uh, Tell as many people as you can about this through whatever mediums you can. And the significance of that is, I think, the biggest advantage of court packing for Democrats is it allows the constitutional system to be abolished in kind of a subtle way. Since a lot of Americans don't understand basic civics, don't appreciate the role of the court, don't realize that that's how the constitution is enforced is through the courts, people probably would not realize, unless we do something about it, that the constitutional system of government had been abolished until they saw that you know the First Amendment or the Second Amendment or due process of law suddenly had no effect. So make a big stink about it first, and that way we might be able to put pressure on the left, even if they do control the Senate, into backing down. If the people on the right say uniformly and loudly and assertively, if you do this, this will no longer be the legitimate constitutional government of the United States, and we will not recognize it as such, um, then that might put sufficient pressure on the left to back down. I would say that's plan A. Got it. That's a good plan A. What's plan B? I think plan B is that states in particular should sue in the United States Supreme Court for an injunction to block court packing. And the argument here would be that we have the Constitution today because it was ratified by the states. And the states, as we know from looking at history, were very concerned about whether the Constitution would actually protect them from federal interference and their citizens. So they weren't just signing on to a union um, in the abstract, they were signing on to a constitutional union made up of these three branches of government. And if the constitutional system of government is abolished and we have a fundamentally non-tripartite different system of government, the states would, would A, not be bound by that system, and B, the states have a right and interest in blocking that system from being abolished because it is the system they signed on to. So the state should have ask in the Supreme Court that an injunction be issued blocking court packing. My hope is that if the court granted that injunction, then people all over the country would be forced to realize that court packing is a coup against the Constitution. You know, if, if the Democrats control the White House and the Senate, but there's an injunction from the court saying you cannot do this, and the Democrats did it anyway, I think that would look like a coup to anyone who was like reasonably on the fence and which would defeat a lot of the advantage for the left of packing the court. Got it. Okay. And then I think I probably know what plan C is, but you, you tell, you tell us. Uh, You could infer what plan C is. I mean, like I said a minute ago, the states are not bound by a fundamentally unconstitutional system of government. So the states need to interpose themselves against an unconstitutionally constituted federal government. And I want to be clear here, 
This is different from the tr more traditional nullification argument. So nullification is this fairly controversial idea that if the states deem that a particular law is unconstitutional, they can nullify it and say this law can't be enforced within our borders. Um, you know, I think that there's a legitimate dis discussion to be had about nullification, but that's not actually what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is the federal government is actually now constituted in a fundamentally different way. It's no longer the tripartite system the states were promised at all. It's a totally different thing. The states aren't bound by it because as a legal entity, America is the constitution. It's not some other system. So the states should say, we don't recognize anything you're doing now is legitimate. If the pact court um, interprets the first amendment as not protecting hate speech, quote unquote, if it overturns Heller and says that the second amendment doesn't protect private firearms ownership, these are all things a pact court would be very likely to do eventually then the state should interpose themselves and protect their citizens from these kinds of rulings. Got it. Okay. Anything else? Anything else you think viewers really need to have on their minds? I think that, yeah, the two things that everyone can do are um, one, you know, be warning people about court packing and what it is. And then two, if you are in a Republican state, especially be in contact with your state legislators and be talking to them about these issues. If you are impressing upon them, you know, we are going to need state governments to be bold and to interpose themselves against the federal government. Um, then, you know, get them thinking about that so that they're ready to bring a suit seeking an injunction, or if necessary, they're ready to interpose themselves to block a tyrannical federal government. Got it. Those so are good. I would say the sort of optimistic note I would end on is if all other safeguards fall through and we get to plan C, I think it would probably be sufficient to have a, a peaceful outcome and an outcome that protects liberty, or at least it plausibly could be, if even a few conservative states were to stand up and interpose themselves against the federal government. I think that would give other people confidence and courage uh, would perhaps create a sort of domino effect and would perhaps make at least significant elements of the left realize that it's not worth continuing to escalate this. And we need to come to some sort of arrangement where everyone can live peaceably and, and if they so desire with their basic liberties protected. Okay, that is good. That's optimistic. Obviously, there's a lot of other better outcomes that could maybe happen, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's, right. I'm glad that one exists. It, it can be comforting to plan for the worst case scenario, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You want to just end with some thoughts on, you know, right now there's a lot of rhetoric. Yeah, obviously the, the media and big tech is working so freakishly hard to present this reality where Joe Biden is officially the president. We should all move on. Donald Trump is out. <laughs> Biden is in. Everyone start healing. Everyone start loving one another and unifying. What should be the appropriate response to that? I, I would say that ev everyone, I think, naturally wants to, this is why Stockholm syndrome exists, wants to believe that other people are basically good, and especially that other people who have power over them are basically good. And we've seen time and again throughout history, this is not true, and that these kinds of assurances are false um, and are often malevolent and are designed to lull people into a false sense of security. Um, 
you know, President Obama, I think, in retrospect, if Biden is able to pack the court, I think will be not nearly, not remotely as horrendous and harmful a president as Biden will be. But Obama was, in many respects, a pretty divisive president. Um, you know, he threatened religious liberty numerous times, and he assured everyone, just like Joe Biden did, that he was going to be, you know, if you did not vote for me, I will be your president too. <laughs> and, and he said this so movingly that not only did I believe it at the time, but even Pat Buchanan believed it. Um, Pat Buchanan was on one of these major news networks reacting to Obama's speech and was almost moved to tears by Obama's message of unity. Um, you know, and that was pretty quickly replaced with statements like, we can't have 100% security and 100% privacy after the Snowden revelations. Right, right. I think it comes from a good place, a desire to compromise, a desire to have peace, a desire to fundamentally, we tend to be, we want to kind of just be left alone to do our own, to live our lives, do our own thing. And so I think there's that impulse to to believe that they really mean it. We're going to heal, <laughs> but it's not true. Like you said, there's, there is zero reason based off of their actions. If we look at their actions and we look at their words, like obviously they're, they're saying these words now, but there's plenty of other words um, of calling anyone remotely right of center, a white supremacist, a racist, all the different things. We should, we should be rest assured that they do not want to unify with us. They do not want to include us. They do not want to heal with us unless that entails complete and total conformity from us. And so I think people need to consider that. Yeah, that's seriously. right. I mean, if, if cancel culture and the left's ability to monopolize the conversation has escalated to the point now where the president of the United States, who even in this most recent election, if we take the polls at face value, received the second highest number of votes that any president, any candidate has ever received in history after Joe Biden. If even that guy in his campaign can't get competent legal representation because one segment of our society has absolute tyrannical hegemonic control over who you can do business with and what you're allowed to say, then you should fear the kind of unity that these people are trying to lull, lull you into accepting. Well said. <laughs> Very true. Well, thank you so much, Ian, for coming on, lending your expertise and your insights on this. I am like partly encouraged, partly not, <laughs> but it's it's all, you know, thankful. Thanks, thank well, yeah. You know, who can add a day to his life by worry? We need to plan ahead and we need to, with sobriety, Amen. acknowledge the dangerous situation that we're in. Uh, but also God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. So you yes. know, that's Absolutely. no reason to sort of convince ourselves that everything is going to be fine and there's no major conflict to face. There is, uh, but we should face it with confidence and with hopefulness. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, Thank you, guys. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the Stacio's channel. Like this. Uh, share it. Find us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Um, it's www.stacios.net. And we have more. more. The plan is to make more videos, right, Ian? We'll have more video right. content, more and podcasts. And we're on MeWe, too. Yeah, we're on MeWe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this, we're, we're going to also be on BitChute. Yes, we will back up our YouTube channel on BitChute. Okay. It'll be the same content. And I, I'm looking forward to the election stuff being over because I've really been wanting to do more videos about like apologetics and prophecy. So be on the lookout for that sort of stuff. That'll be awesome. All right. Thanks, guys.